I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. We're all about the archers. I'm Philippa. And I'm Quentin. It is my huge pleasure to welcome today to the podcast the award-winning, best-selling Anne Cleves OBE, author of beloved series, including Vera Shetland and Two Rivers, both to read and watch on TV. Not only do we love Anne's books, but we love the fact that, like us, Anne is an Archers fan. Anne, welcome. Thanks very much. It's lovely to be here. Delighted to have you, Anne. So, Anne Cleves, OBE, you've written more than 35 critically acclaimed novels, won awards, spawned TV series, but does any of that come close to Vera being mentioned by Susan on the Archers. That was pretty special because I have been an <laughs> Archers fan, I think, since I was a teenager. I was trying to work out how I came to first listen to the Archers. And my parents didn't listen, so I must have stumbled across it, I think. So you've been listening since, well, for eight decades then, have you? <laughs> since the 70s, anyway. Our French teacher wanted us to get into Radio 4 because the um, Alain Fournier Le Grand Moon was being read in English on Radio 4 as a book at bedtime. And I'd never come across Radio 4 before, but just loved the stories and the talk. And I think I'd stumbled on the Archers then. So when you heard Susan mention Vera... Did it stop you in your tracks, Anne? It did. I just thought, wow, so Vera's made it then. She's on the archers. And Susan, who's quite picky, <laughs> likes her. So that's a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we just love to hear that. And I'm interested because when you were young, you lived in rural Midlands, so different to your books. So did you grow up in Ambridge? Almost. Yeah. When we were first married, we lived in Worcestershire, very close to the village that everybody said was Ambridge. Yeah. So that was, was quite interesting. You could see the Licky Hills, which are not quite the Lakey Hills, but almost. Hanbury was the village that everybody said, oh, this is Ambridge. I was never quite convinced. 
So you've listened since the 70s, as you said. Can you remember any outstanding storylines from back then that stay in your mind? I just remember it being really comforting. I can remember listening to it when I was cooking on Fair Isle. I was the assistant. I'd dropped out of university. And just by chance, a meeting, just luck, met somebody in a pub in Buckney who told me that they were looking for an assistant cook if I was desperate for a job, and I was pretty desperate for a job, and they must have been pretty desperate to have somebody to be assistant cook because I couldn't cook and I didn't know anything about birds and I was working in a bird observatory. But off I went, and I can remember listening to the archers then, and some of my colleagues, the assistant warden, just sneering because I was listening to the arch. But I've since discovered that he's become an even more passionate fan than I do. Yeah. And he runs quite high-end birding tours overseas. He downloads the archer, so he's in some fancy lodge in uh, Tanzania, and there he is listening to the archers. It serves him right. <laughs> on our podcast, we like to focus on what we call our faves and our flops in any week, what we've really liked, what we haven't liked, the characters that we've liked or, or not liked. Presumably you're listening up to the moment. Are there any particular faves or flops that you have? I've recently done the Gibraltar Book Festival, so I've only just got back. So I have been trying to catch up. And I think that very, very moving scenes between Helen and Rob Titchener, I've mm. been listening to and hoping that she wouldn't do anything silly. And in the end, she didn't do anything silly. So that was all right. I think that was good. And I think what's great is that you have that in almost the same episode. You have Jacob dressing up as a gladiator <laughs> and it's that mix of the ridiculous and the very moving that I think works so well not sure if there were any flops really I do worry a bit that everybody turns out to be nice in the end like Joy who was a terrible busybody and everybody found very difficult and suddenly she's become quite saintly so it's quite good that Rob Titchener was really nasty right at the end, even when he was dying. What do you think of George? Because he's been set up to be a nasty piece of work and suddenly he's becoming rather, he's yeah. been softened, hasn't he? And the same with Jazza, who was just a wild tearaway who did no good to anybody. And then suddenly he's this respectable married man who's working for his family and not drinking too much anymore and all that. So, yeah, yeah there is that sense, I suppose, of redemption. There isn't anybody really, really nasty because Brian was very horrid at one point, wasn't he? He, all... he had his moments. He had his moments. Yeah. I mean, talking of Helen, I mean, I'm currently reading your, your book, the, the, the Raging Storm, and this passage caught my eye in Raging Storm, chapter 15. It occurred to Jen that she too would hardly be heartbroken if she got a call saying that her ex had died. She'd be curious, of course, but there'd surely be a moment of relief, a sense of lightness, of a burden being shed. Perhaps, too, there'd be no more of the nightmare memories. Remind you of anyone in the Archers, Anne? <laughs> yeah, a bit like that, wasn't it? <laughs> I suppose, I don't think that fed into it, but I love writing Anne, who is who married too young, married badly, had kids too young, had a, ended up in an abusive relationship. But now she's come through that and she's trying to catch up on all that time that she missed out when she was young. So she parties very hard and she's quite yes. promiscuous. And I love that idea of somebody who can catch up and have a bit of fun in early middle age. Because she's worried, isn't she, that her daughter doesn't have enough fun. She's too nerdy That's and right. geeky. Yeah, yes. she wants her daughter to be out partying too because <laughs> she might regret it later without 
realising, yeah. of course, that we're all very different and we take pleasure yeah. from different things. Would you like the baddies in the Archers to stay as baddies? I mean, you said you liked Rob Tichner. He was awful right to the end. Would you like the yeah. ones they set up as baddies to remain baddies? I don't know, you see, because Eddie was always fairly horrible, wasn't he, when he was young? And now he's this avuncular, jolly chap yeah. who, who does the occasional bad deal but isn't a really a waster anymore. I quite like that sense of redemption, really. I think I'm. Oh, do you? I like mm. a happy ending. Yeah. I don't know if you're like us, Anne, but when a new character comes on, we are over analysing everything because we can't believe we didn't spot Philip Moss the minute he came on the scene. And oh, so, no, no, he was a baddie all the way through oh, and yes. through, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes, slowly revealed as well. Mm. Yeah, yes. that was very clever. Really, really clever script writing. So do you listen to any clues that they might give or any red herrings that the script writers give and try and form your own view on a character before we know the full story? No, that would be too much like work, I think. I just <laughs> sit there and listen and let myself be entertained. Mm. I am delighted. I like Hannah because Hannah, the actress who plays Hannah, is also a member of the Border Readers, which is a group of actors up here on the Scottish border. And they go into libraries and pubs and village halls and read stories. Mm. And I love that, that she's one of that group. And they're reading at the moment some crime stories written by me and others. In my, We call ourselves the Murder Squad. There are a number of us who write crime in the north of England <laughs> and they're reading a number of our stories in the wilds at that moment. So it was lovely that she had an Ambridge connection too. Are you still doing your outreach work as well? Yeah, um, reading for wellbeing. The project is still going. I've got this amazing team of Public Health England workers and library workers and it's all headed up by Jane Hartley, who's kind of coordinates it all so it's a bit like writing really the ideas are the easy bit and then somebody else does all the hard work and so I had the idea but we're really going from strength to strength we're employing a lot more reading workers and bringing people together to talk about stories and trying to divert people from the NHS if they've got if they're lonely or a bit sad or have got chronic pain that doctors can't really help with, we find that reading does help. Either reading as an individual and just having a chat with a worker every now and again and finding books to make you laugh or cry or take you somewhere else completely or coming together as a reading group. So that's what's happening. We're hoping to ease our way south, take over the country. The power of books. Mm. You said just now that you obviously listen to The Archers for relaxation, but as a writer, do you not sometimes sit there analysing the construction and wondering how you might do it? No, I really don't. It's like I watch Vera on the telly, and if it's an original story, you know, I've only written 11 Vera novels and there have been more than 50 episodes, so most of them are original stories written by scriptwriters. I don't try and analyse it and say, oh, that's a that's a decent bit of dialogue. I'm just there like any other punter <laughs> with my cup of tea, watching and being entertained, looking to see what's going to happen next. Talking of Vera and, of course, Jimmy Perez and Matthew Venn, your fantastic detectives, they're all wonderful in that through your books we get to learn more and more about them and the different layers of their personality. Which brings me to a question about the resident police in Ambridge and Harrison, who possibly doesn't have quite as many layers as your brilliant detectives. What's your view on 
Harrisonan. Yeah, I haven't heard about him recently, but last time I heard he was going to try and become a wildlife liaison officer, wasn't he? He didn't get the job, sadly. Oh, no, he didn't get the job. Because that would be quite an interesting storyline to follow, I think. Because Tim, my husband, worked for the RSPB for most of his career. And he did work with the wildlife liaison police officers looking at things like the poisoning of birds of prey. And when we were first married, Tim worked for investigations and we would do quite a lot of cops and robbers things. Like I remember going undercover into a pub where uh, people were trading rare birds eggs and trying to work out what was going on there. But so that was good fun. Do you, do you think he's a lousy detective, though, Harrison? I like them all. I suspend my disbelief. I just go in and enjoy them all. I don't judge them. I think we do. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you do. And what a lovely relationship he's got with Fallon, and that's very nice. And maybe okay. they're all a bit too nice, apart from Philip Moss, who was very Yes. Boring. Would you like to see more crime in Ambridge, Anne? That would be silly, wouldn't it? A little village. <laughs> I think they they put quite a lot in. You know, poor Helen off to prison and Philip Moss and people smuggling and gangmasters and arson yeah. and no. Okay, all right. I need, at the end of the day, while I'm cooking my supper, the <laughs> arches is the time between me stopping working and the beginning of the evening when I can relax. And I cook my supper and listen to the archers. And it's good to know that all in this crazy world and all that's going on, with climate change and unsettling politics and wars, to know that in Ambridge, Susan's still a gossip, Clary's still salt of the earth, and all will be well. <laughs> yes, absolutely. For me, listening to the Archers, it's like a comfort blanket. Yes, I love the big stories, but I also love the sort of more mundane ritual stories, like the Christmas event the christmas pantomime i just i'm all over that are you the same with those parts of the storyline yeah yeah love linda snell um, again i might have missed something but is alan going to get her engaged in filling the church with crafts and arts and good works because i think she could do with a bit of more activity and jacob and Boucher, that'll be an interesting partnership running the community project oh. so I'm quite looking forward to seeing how that goes. <laughs> Two strong characters with their own ways of doing things. I think that'll be great fun running up to Christmas. You mentioned just now, Anne, some of the, the more serious storylines that there have been over the years. And I was just wondering, as a former child care officer and probation officer, how do you think the Archers handles social issues? I think they do it really well. I think because it's a long series, because they have time, they can actually develop those stories sensitively it's not rushed and it doesn't have to be melodramatic and obviously the Rob Titchener thing it took a long time for most of us to realize how controlling he was and the whole coercive control thing which was actually when it started was quite a new concept I think and maybe it only recently become law that idea of coercive control and so I think they do they do manage to do it very very well but they put them on the map don't they I mean they've, they've they put coercive control and modern day slavery at the front of yeah. popular entertainment in the that's right. In that sense of the word. And I think that certainly the modern day slavery thing, it made me as a listener more aware that we can't dismiss lads who look as if they're just not working very hard or seem a bit intimidated. We need to think about who we're employing, I think. That message came over very, very well. Mm. 
Yes, I think it does a great job about educating us on all sorts of matters. For me, it's even eggs with thin shells when Josh had his problem with his eggs being the shells were too thin to be accepted. Now, whenever I have an egg and I'm cracking it and the shell's too thin, I think, oh, what would Josh make of this? Of this egg. It started off as an education program Mm. after the war for farmers, wasn't it? For farmers and growers. And they still do a bit of that. So Kirsty and her rewilding and all the conservation stuff that goes on, I think, is really, really good too. I was just going to ask about food, Anne, because on our podcast, food, Quentin's not so keen on it, but I'm very keen on any mention of food and what might be being prepared and we announce it with joy every week, what, what they've been talking about. Is the food as important for you or does that go quite low on your radar? I'm always interested. I always feel very intimidated by Jill. You know, obviously I should already have made the Christmas cake by now and I've got all the grandchildren here stirring it on Stir Up Sunday. I'm not quite sure when that is, but I do feel I'm lacking in the cooking department. Well, you've got to be better than Ruth, Anne. Yeah, that wouldn't be hard though, would it? Give that. I mean, you're talking to us from North Tyneside. Are you Team Joy or Team Ruth? Oh, I love Joy. I think she has become the saint of Ambridge, hasn't she? Not being judgmental, listening. (laughs) Quite the antithesis of Ruth who jumps in with her judgments, you know, about poor Pip and her new relationship and sticking her foot in it. And you would think she would be a bit more sensitive than that because she was quite right on as a young woman. So that's a bit sad. Yeah. So, I'm, no, I'm definitely with joy. Listening, not judging, being helpful, not sticking your nose in when it's not wanted. And I think it's great because Helen has become very much her friend, hasn't she? And they're different generations, different education probably, but still very, very close. And I love that. Two women backing each other up in difficult circumstances. Are you like me? I'd like to see joy fleshed out more. Are there other characters? I've got Ardil in mind as well, who you'd like to see fleshed out more. Ardil, who, again, we thought was the saviour of Grey Gables and it was all going to be wonderful, and then he panicked and ran away. So that, yeah, we definitely need to know more about him. I agree. I'd like to know more about Joy's background and what brought her there and why she did at first seem very lonely and needing the support, and Mm. suddenly she's transformed into this person who is giving support rather than needing company. Do you think yes. Rochelle exists, Anne? Rochelle? Is that her daughter? That's her daughter. Is she a phantom daughter? Oh, I don't know because we never see her. But no. then you see, because I know a little bit about telly now, I know that actors are expensive. If you're writing <laughs> a crime series, in real life, there would always be a forensic pathologist and then a separate crime scene manager. Every series I've seen on television, they're the same person. And I did say to the producer once, can we not have, you know, why? This is just not real. This isn't how it would be. Oh, yes, but extractors are so expensive. Maybe she's just priced herself out of the market. We have a theory that maybe Joy is under witness protection and that's why she's arrived in Ambridge. No, <laughs> I don't think so. She could be a murderer herself, of course. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Just released on life licence, released from prison. Yes, she can't go very far because of her ankle tag, maybe. That's why she has to be back home in the hot tub. (laughs) That that could be it. She always wears baggy trousers. (laughs) Might be onto something, Annie. Yes, it could be like the witch in Hansel and Gretel with the boys. Can I share another frustration with you, Anne? Do you get frustrated like I do when a character is just about to tell us something really significant and another one just pops in and 
disturbs the conversation and we never get to hear what was going to be said. I, it drives me nuts, does it you? But you do hear eventually. Yes, I know, but I well, want to hear now. all maintaining the tension, I think. Okay, all right. Dramatic tension, that is. I think right. We just have to go with the flow on that one. All right, Anne. I think okay. you're just too picky. I think yeah. you need to enjoy it. I think I'm too. I think I'm too impatient, Anne. I think yes, yes, yeah, think so. yes. While you're with us, Anne, can we talk about your latest book, The Raging Storm, which I have enjoyed so much? Uh, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and the words for me were so visual. Just as I picture Ambridge, I wondered how visual you are picturing the scenes as you write them. Do they play out like almost like a movie in front of your in front of your eye? Yeah, I think. It has to, really, because if the world that you're creating isn't real for you, it can't be real for the reader. So I need something concrete in my head to be describing before I can start writing. And The Raging Storm started because I was invited on to set when they were filming the first book in the series, which is called The Long Call. And they were filming in Heartland Quay, which is in North Devon. And people think of North Devon as being very pretty and big beaches and surfing and cream teas and thatched cottages. And of course, it is all that. But I wanted to do something that was a bit less touristy. And Heartland Quay, it, there's no village there like Greystone, but it was pouring with rain and blowing a hoolie and these great granite cliffs and a grey shingle beach. And that's how I got the idea. So it was, it was very visual. It was that sense of place that I started with and just built a village up the cliff. That's interesting. Um, I mean, I felt absolutely drenched and battered by the first few chapters <laughs> in the book. And, and that sense of place, again, I've got another passage here I hi highlighted, which sort of ties in with the archers as well. Ven always used a paper map, studied before setting off, but Ven said it was important to understand the region's geography, physical and human, which I found interesting because within the archers, do you get a real sense of place? Because there are literally countless maps that have been published of this fictional village, but they, you know, these maps exist. Do you get a sense of place within Ambridge, like in the way that you give us a sense of place in your novels? Yeah, I think so. I don't, not as a map, maybe, a sense of place. I can see each of the farms probably now. Hmm. It's a bit more difficult now that Brian's moved into the cottage because I, if we're talking human geography, he doesn't fit into a small cottage. He needs to get the big house back because then I believe in, in him a lot more. There must yeah. be some way of getting him back into it. We need him back there, home farm, in the big house with a swimming pool and all Jennifer's design and that. I can't, can't quite see him in a small cottage. But, yeah, my daughter's a human geographer and I think that's what I like to do in the book is to look at the individual within their community and within their landscape, really. I think we are a product of the places we grew up and the places we live and the kids that we played with and the, the view that we see from our window. All that feeds into the people that we are. And as well as the book, we do need to talk about the audio book because it's narrated by Jack Holden. It's absolutely superb, I think, and not all audiobook. Yeah actors, narrators are, are that good. Were you pleased with the result? Absolutely delighted, yes. Jack, his parents come from North Devon. He was the leading war horse on the stage, though, again, that West Country background. So I think he does it absolutely beautifully. 
And we've we've done a couple of events together, and I'm hoping that he'll be free. We're doing a big um, fundraiser for the RNLI in North Devon when the paperback comes out in Ilfracombe with support for the lifeboat there. And I'm hoping that he'll come along and do that with me. And we're hoping to get, we're calling it, I think, stories from the sea and hoping to get some of the lifeboat crew to come and talk too. Because next year is the 200th anniversary of the RNLI. So we're going to celebrate that in any way that we can. Sounds like it would be a, a marvellous event. Can I just ask though about the voices? Because you have some quite different characters and accents in the book. I, I'm just wondering if you throw a new one in now and all, almost titter to yourself about what Jack's going to have to <laughs> do to perform Yeah, how that. are you going to do a Scouse accent, Jack? Can you manage that? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is. It's, it's a real skill. And I love Janine Burkett, too, who reads the Vera audiobooks because she's local here. And she's another of the border readers who goes out and tells stories oh. along the Scottish Northumberland Cumbrian border to, to entertain people and stories, which is so important, I think. I'd like to ask you, Anne, do you have a penchant for letters at the bottom of the alphabet? Well, we've got Vera, Ven and Perez. <laughs> <laughs> and your name, given your name's right at the top of the alphabet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, names are really difficult because I want names that that belong in the places, it's back to place again, isn't it? So Perez, you wouldn't think, would be a Shetland name, but there was mm. a, an armada ship, a Spanish armada ship, wrecked off Fair Isle, which is the, the Shetland island that I know best. And there were 60 survivors in the 16th century who scrambled ashore. So it's not outside the bounds of possibility that one of them married a local woman and that the name has continued. And then then... I wanted to call him Charland because that's very much a, a North Devon name, but people said, no, no, you can't call him Charland. It's too close to, Shap to Shetland. So then there is a quarry, Venn Quarry in Barnstable, where the book's set. And Venn is a slightly boggy bit of waste ground as well in, in North Devon dialect. And Venn is actually a character in the Thomas Hardy book, Return of the Native. And of course, in the first book, Matthew Venn is coming home. So that just seemed all to tie in very, very nicely. And Vera Stanhope, yes, that name occurred. Vera wasn't supposed to be in the book at all, the first Vera book, which is called The Crow Trap. I had a new young editor who decided that she didn't like detective series. Nobody was ever going to read them again. They were too old-fashioned. And so I started writing a book which wouldn't have a detective in. It would just have these three women who were doing an environmental survey in the Northumberland Hills. One of them would die, obviously, but there would be no detective. But then I was writing, I got stuck because I don't plot in advance, and was writing a funeral scene. And it was Raymond Chandler, I think, who said, if you're stuck with a book, have a guy burst through a door with a gun. But I think I'm not going to do a gun, but I can have a door burst open and see who came, comes in. And who came in was Vera, fully formed. I had her name. And Stanhope is a village in County Durham. So that's, I think, how her name right. came about. And looking more like a bad lady than a detective, <laughs> I describe her as. And there she was. And, and luckily, the editor who didn't like detective series married a music journalist and moved to Australia. I could carry on writing Vera. I'm interested when yeah. you're writing, like, so this is your third Venn book. How hard is it? Because you want to give, you want to embellish his character more in each book and reveal more layers. 
And yet, presumably, you want to keep some for the next book in the series. Is it quite hard to manage that? Or does that just come naturally because you, you've written so many books? I don't really think about it. I tell the story that I want to tell and give the information that I want to give in each book. And the next book, I think, will take care of itself when I come to do it. Because there well, will I be mean, more end books, but... Um, yeah. yeah. But how do you, you... I mean, you're prolific, Anne. How do you come up with all these ideas? I do a book a year. And as I said before, ideas are easy. You know, there are ideas everywhere in snatches of overheard conversation and newspaper headlines and just things that you see in everyday life and people that you meet and sometimes you just want to explore a subject but the hard bit is turning the ideas into a hundred thousand words of novel something yes. you might want to read are you an inveterate eavesdropper yes love it <laughs> love this time of year when people forget to draw their curtains but put their lights on and you're walking Ooh. down the street and you get glimpses into everybody's domestic lives absolutely <laughs> love that so can we ask what's next when we've devoured the raging storm what book can we look forward to next um there will be a new vera book out next september so i'm looking i'm just doing copy edits with that now so i'm nearly done with that which will be good fun and then i can move on to something else but, well, and fantastic. I, I read that no more shetlands you, you've got nothing else to say on that no, one is that right? I, I did eight books set in shetland and although the bbc series is back and i think working really well with a, a new central character. There are only 21,000 people in all the Shetland Islands and you can only kill off so many of them, yeah. I think. <laughs> they seem to do all right in midsummer. Yeah, but I'm hoping I don't write quite that sort of book. <laughs> I think the murder is a, a structure to hang my book on, but I'm more interested in exploring families and what holds them together and what keeps them apart and yeah. communities and how they work. And we come to the last question. And each week when we're interviewing somebody, we ask them a question that they want us to ask the person that's coming on the next week. And last week, we were fortunate enough to interview Jeremy Howe, who is the editor of The Archers. So we said to Jeremy, right, Anne is coming on next week. What is your question for her? And this is Jeremy's question. So, Anne, would you ever write for The Archers? Love, Jeremy. Oh, yeah, ask me. That would be fun. I'm not sure I'd actually write the scripts, but if they could have me in the room and sort of plot out the storylines for the next few months, I'm there like a shot. Thanks, Jeremy. <laughs> there we go. Absolutely perfect. And it's just been a sheer joy to talk to you about yes. your love of The Archers and your books and the latest The Raging Storm. We're just so grateful for your time. Thank you. No, thank you very much. It's been great fun. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. I should just say we'll be back as normal for a midweek roundup of what's happened in the Archers so far. So from all of us, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.